This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. The season is well and truly underway, and we've started with with what now, in hindsight, is a very promising result. Um, You know, a 1-1 draw away at Middlesbrough, going to be a very difficult place to go. I agree with what Bruce said in in the post-match that... You know they are a team that are going to be well, well up there, and that and that it's a good it's a good point. However, the granular detail of the game there is a little bit more to worry about, particularly the first half showing, and that's how we're almost going to treat today's pod because it was the definitive game of two halves. Albion absolutely dreadful in the first half, and frankly, it was staggering that we only we went in only one nil down. And then in the second half, came out and played, scored a good goal and, to be honest, had enough chances to have probably won the game in the end. So we will split this into two and address the first first and second half individually. And Pete, starting with the first half, in fact, I want to start with the pre-match because... Where I'm, I'm going to cut the expletives out of what I said, but when the team was announced, I rang my dad, and the gist of what I said without the choice language was, what on earth is that team? You put Livermore and Malumbi in the centre of midfield, neither of whom are particularly, uh, are in any way, shape or form, progressive passers of the ball. And this is not having a go at either of them as individuals. I just think as a pair you completely limit yourself. We spoke about on the last two pods about how Moa is key to that midfield and he leaves him out. Then he plays Phillips on on the left-hand side, completely unbalanced for a start. He's not not a left-footed player. Um, Leaves Grady out, who's been one of the better players in in preseason. I think we thought all the way through that it was nailed on going to be either Grant or Grady for for that position. And then... One of the big problems that we had last season was having zero focal point up front. 
and he plays Grant. Now, I understand the fact that DK has been out for a while and he wants to nurse him back to a certain degree, but I kind of thought he'd do it the other way around and give DK an hour and then maybe switch it up in terms of the centre forward rather than starting and putting us uh, putting us on the back foot. I'm not being smart with hindsight here because I said it before the game. In fact, I said it on Twitter, so that there is actually there is actually record of it that that starting eleven was a massive gamble, and it was one that did not pay off. And for me, Steve Bruce has to take an awful lot of the responsibility for the way we played in that first half. Yeah, I'd agree most with that. Um, I think he, it was he was just playing it safe, really. Um, but isn't think- that exactly what we were worried about with Bruce? And to be fair, he's talked a big talk about not being that guy anymore. Yeah, that's true. But it was against Middlesbrough away, who we've both tipped to be, you know, fighting for the promote the automatic spots at the end of the season. So, yeah, but also just caveat. I'm going to devil's advocate back and forth on it. We we we, we did both tip them up. I tipped them to top the league, but we also said that it's not a bad time to play them because and and they got even more depleted after we said that because they sold Tavernia. Yeah, and that's true as well. But um... To be honest, at the start of the game, I would have taken a draw. So in that respect, playing it safe isn't awful. I think Phillips was probably playing rather than Dean Garner to, instead of to help out defensively more, because I think Dean Garner can do as much as Phillips can in helping out defensively. I think he was quite good at that under Bilic in the Premier League when he was asked to track back. I remember the, the Man City away game. I think it was Bilic's last game and Dan Garner did a pretty good job at working back, but I think the difference is that Phillips is much safer. Like we've already said, Bruce is playing it safe and he's going to give the ball away less than Dan Garner is, which is if you give the ball away to Isaiah Jones and he gets running at Townsend on his own, then it's going to cause problems. So I think that was more of a case rather than just having Phillips on to support Townsend defensively. It was a case of not giving the ball away too much to Jones and isolating Townsend against him on transition. Um, which yeah. which is fair, Pete, but I would also just slightly caveat, and he did have a 90% pass accuracy rate. We only made 10 passes, which is one of the lowest in, in our team. I mean, it's not a lot of good to us as a left winger if he doesn't get on the ball, is he? No, but again, we didn't, we didn't really try to attack down the left too much, did we? Um, it was kind of, build up down the left and then move it across to the right to get it across to, to Wallace to try and work a crossing. And then that links back to what you were saying about DK, that he would have been more used to to have him to cross to rather than Grant. I think Grant had a decent game overall, linked up fairly well, um, made a few passes, didn't do too much wrong. But yeah, DK was, he was excellent when he came on and I can see him being the starting striker in the future once he's, you know, fully fully fit and, and ready to go. I suppose to a certain extent as well, it underlines how desperately we need another striker of a similar profile to, to DK, because I agree with you. And I was at pains to say this on, on Twitter when I said that DK has to be starting. That's not a dig at Carlin Grant. I thought Carlin Grant was really good yesterday, but he just simply, and he drew some brilliant fouls and he, he, he took the pressure off at, at, at times but he just plain and simply can't do 
what Daryl DK does because he's not the same profile of striker. He's not, he's not got the same physicality. He's not got the same attributes. And uh, I mean, one of the big examples I gave of how uh, I, I found of how ridiculously unbalanced that side was, was Jed Wallace put eight crosses into the box yesterday, which is a brilliant number. And we know that when Jed Wallace puts a cross in, it is a good ball 99% of the time because the guy is a superb deliverer of a football. He put eight crosses in, not one of them, not one of them was met by a West Bromwich Albion player. You cannot have a player like Jed Wallace in your team who puts such phenomenal delivery into the box and not give him anything to hit. It's crazy. So it's not a dig at Grant. I want. I do want to see Grant this season, probably left-hand side rather than anywhere else. But for me, the starting number nine has to, with the players we've got has to be somebody, has to either be Daryl DK or somebody with a similar physical profile. Yeah, because that's probably the way that we're going to score a lot of our goals. Either Jed Wallace, Jed Wallace, sorry, putting crosses in and then finishing from there or just on transition like we saw. And I mean, in the counter-attack, Grant's useful. Um, we saw that. I think it was him and him and Wallace that was played through by Molumbi and he kind of left it for Wallace. Um, but he'll make runs in behind. He's pretty quick. Um, so he'll score goals that way. But if we're crossing the ball, then yeah, ideally we need someone better aerially to, to aim for. I think Grant will still score some crosses, but not as many as a player that's better in the air like DK would because Grant will score ones that, you know, might be low, might get around his man on the front post and put it in, but he's not going to be challenging like DK will against central centre-backs that are also good in the air. Um, and he'll probably also score some goals on the back post from Wallace's crosses because he did look towards the back post a few times with the crosses. But again, we they just weren't completed. So if Grant plays on the left, then yeah, I can see him still scoring goals from there. Just while we're mentioning Wallace as well, can I, uh, can I just call out Don Goodman here? Who tried to suggest that that was a cross from Wallace, where he where he's tried to lob Stefan? He's looking straight at him. I, I'm not being crazy here, Pete. He's a hundred percent meant that, yeah. Yeah, I think he did. I think he was trying to disguise it as well, to because he kind of whipped the ball rather than just playing a straight one. So it's almost described disguised as a cross. But yeah, I think it was definitely intentional the way that he he checks the keeper and then and then goes for it rather than just. Yeah, I mean, you can see him look at the goal and see where the keeper is, so intentional for me. I mean, we'll come to uh, Wallace and Swift in a little bit more detail, but to be honest, they, they're they more significant when we talk about the second half because of their contribution to it. But just another point around the team selection, we've we've covered two of the controversial picks. What did you make of Livermore and Malumbi? over Moat because I'm not having again a bit similar to the Grant conversation here I'm not having a go at either Malumbi or or Livermore in particular although I did think Jake had one of his one of his poorer passing games it overall his his passing numbers actually don't stack up that badly for Jake Livermore they're quite similar to what he usually would be but there was there was a few where he's he he literally just passed the ball out of play. It, it was they they were they were re- so when he got it wrong, he he seemed to get it really wrong. And I'm certainly not having a, good, a go at Malumbi because the work he did for the goal to win the ball back was absolutely phenomenal. It was 
his desire to win that ball and give it to Jake Wallace, uh, Jake Jed Wallace was absolutely brilliant. So I'm not having a, necessarily having a go at either of them individually, but I just think as a pair, they should not start football matches. I think Livermore was probably there for the leadership aspect of it, that, you know, he is the club captain. There doesn't appear to be too many natural leaders on the pitch. Wallace looked like he was, you know, he spent a lot of the game talking, shouting, trying to organise and get people going as well. So that's, I mean, that's promising for him. But other than that, and maybe Dara at the back, but even so, I think Livermore stands out as probably the natural leader of the squad. Um, so that's probably why he was picked over Moet. But Malumbi, um, out of the three central midfielders that are available, he would probably have been my first pick, Malumbi, because um, I think he's got that energy and he's got more pace than both Moet and Livermore have. If it was Moet and Livermore starting, then it'd be a very slow midfield. Um, and obviously that um, you know desire to press high aggressively and win the ball back, um, which he showed for the goal. So I think Malumbi makes sense for me. And then Moe's obviously better on the ball than Livermore and offers more attacking wise. I think the big issue with Livermore yesterday was that he seemed to be, he didn't seem to want to pass forward. There was a couple of times when we won the ball back and there was a simple pass inside to either Malumbi or Swift was unmarked. And it was, I mean, it looked like an easy pass, but he almost didn't even look up for it and naturally just went straight back to O'Shea, which if he just looked up, he would have been able to make the pass and maybe open things up a bit. But I think feel like he naturally looks to just settle, settle possession, reset and go back to the centre-back. I'm remembering the couple of moments you're on about. I was literally screaming at the TV. Like uh, I, I, I was just, I mean, I was holler at, hollering at him like he could hear me. I was so frustrated because as you say, he actually when you look at his defensive numbers, what he's actually done in a defensive sense, he's actually contributed an awful lot. And I'm not, I'm not just not going to have any, anybody saying Jake Livermore does nothing in the Albion team because he does. If you, if you think Jake Livermore has done nothing in that Albion team, then look at the challenge he made for the one which Wilder, and I don't know how, if he's seen it back, he thinks it's a penalty because Livermore wins the ball. But it is a brilliant challenge. So don't tell me Jake Livermore does nothing in this Albion team because he does. But he holds us back in an offensive sense. And we've got to have something more progressive in that midfield. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, we need some... When we've got the ball in the fullback areas, we're kind of limited to what we're going to do. A lot of the time it's either play it down the line to Phillips if Townsend's on the ball or vice versa with Furlong and, and Wallace. Um you never see the central midfielders kind of make a movement to just have it inside and then see where they can play from there. Like if we'd got Sawyers in the side, I know it's going back to Sawyers, but we had him last time we got promoted and he'd always want the, he's a good example, he'd always want the ball. If it went to a fullback, he'd make the movement to have it inside and make sure he's in space and then look to play from there. Would Taylor make a difference in there? I mean, I know he'd do a different job, but at least he'd drive forward. Yeah, I think he would. And he, when he's played, he'd, He's not afraid to get on the ball, but is he? Would we lose some of the defensive solidity? Um, I think probably. Would, which would, is... it, would it matter as much once you get beyond? I mean, I, we've got a really nasty start: Middlesbrough, Watford, 
I mean, Blackburn won on the opening day. I'm, they've, they've lost a few players. I'm not sure quite how good they are. But certainly once you get beyond Middlesbrough and Watford, should we, should we really be worrying too much about that? Or should we be looking to get on the front foot? I think it depends. Obviously, it depends on the opposition. But I mean, if we've got Yokozlu playing as well and we're against maybe a weaker opposition, then you can probably risk having Garner Hickman in there who's probably going to try and make things happen more often, but then obviously lose the ball more because of it. But if you've got Yukuzlu sitting back and kind of protecting the defence and breaking up any transitions and a bit more protected, and it gives you a bit more um, a bit more option to make those gambles of having players like Gardner Hickman in the side, but we might benefit from it in the attacking sense. Because, we're, I mean, we have to say, with that midfield that he picked, we had 35% possession in that first half. And whilst possession stats are certainly not everything, you cannot be that on the back foot against a team like Middlesbrough. And when you look at how much of the ball we had second half and the difference it made to to our play, and and Bruce has talked about being a possession-based team. Well, we weren't in the first half. At best, we were a counter-attacking team, but that would would suggest that we did any counter-attacking and we didn't really. So... I mean, we saw this a bit last season where we started games slowly and then we came on a bit stronger in the in the second half. But as I said on Twitter, the difference between this season and last season is we didn't have that little bit of quality out of the likes of Swift and Wallace to get us back into the game. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of slow starts against against, for example, Huddersfield away. Um, you know, starting starting poorly against uh, against Preston. Uh, you know, games uh, games where we where where we, where we got ourselves on the back foot, but weren't quite weren't quite good enough to turn them turn them around. But I do think we've got to find a way to be on the front foot in games this season because that that's what that's what generally what promotion winning teams do isn't it we can't we I mean we we had a we had a promotion under Billich where we got away with and this is it's a similar group of players by the way right so I do wonder and I've wondered this for a while whether it's a part of the mentality of this group we had a we had a a group under Billich who got promoted whilst conceding the first goal basically winning more games than any other team in the division from losing positions. You can't concede the first goal that much. We got away with it that season. We got away with it because we had some unbelievable players like Pereira, Dean Garner was playing out of his skin and things like that. Then last season, we conceded the first goal too much and we didn't get away with it. And it's why we finished 10th. And we can't start this season conceding the first goal. And I don't think a conservative approach to games is going to help us to score the first goal. I think being on the front foot will. What do you think, Pete? I think it depends on who we're playing, really, because I think if you look at just the squad right now, we're probably more suited to scoring goals in transition with the likes of DK. You know, he was unbelievable for Barnsley when they were playing that way. Um, Swifty, a lot of his goals um, for Reading were transition-based Um and Wallace has got quality to carry it forward as well as, you know, making passes forward and crosses forward. Dan Garner and Grant are both quick. So I think in terms of that, we're probably more suited to that. And I think we do lack, do still lack a natural creative number 10. I think Swift is a lot better than 
the options we had last year for it, but he's I don't think he's anywhere near as good as Pereira is in terms of creating. I think he'll I think he's a great player and he'll score a lot of goals and he will get assists as well. But I think he's very different to what Pereira was. So if we are a completely possession based team, then I think a lot of the chances that we'll create will be from crosses from Wallace, which isn't really a problem if we can work the space and get bodies in the box and use of those crosses. But against the better teams, I think we will set up in a similar way when we're playing the likes of Norwich and and Burnley. We'll probably look to focus on the transitions and get the ball forward quickly once we've won it back and attack an unsettled defence. And I think we'll be very good at that as well. But against we, we've got to be better. We've got to be better at it than we were yesterday, though, because let's be honest, we should have lost that game by half time. Yeah, and that was. I mean, that first half was the issue. Really, they had a few that fizzed across the face of goal, and the, the one sitter that I think it was a what more missed. Um, but in the second half, we're much better at it. Got the ball in behind their defence more, turned them more, um, and DK looked at uh, chasing down, you know, balls that he shouldn't really be getting on to. You know, he muscled Lenahan off that one and made a couple of chances from it. It's the better teams will play like that, but against weaker teams who are probably going to sit back more. And even when they do attack, they'll probably leave more men back to protect themselves. I think we will have to figure a way out, figure a way to play that involves more possession and, and more patience and breaking down sides rather than just hitting teams quickly with that have got unsettled defences. Naturally, by the nature of the way the game went, this podcast today is almost getting split into the negatives followed by the positives because there was an awful lot of negatives in the first half and an awful lot of positives in the second half. So I just want to follow, finish off the chat almost of the negatives with one that ran across both halves for me. And that was the distribution of David Button, which I found highly, highly concerning. I mean, for, uh, to put that, put it into perspective, Button only managed two accurate long balls yesterday, which is an 11% completion rate. He kicked a lot of them out of play. Now, I saw people on, on Twitter when I tweeted this out coming and suggesting that Johnston was equally as poor at that. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He, 11% is what Button completed yesterday. Johnston, last season, and bearing in mind he didn't have a target man to hit for much of the season... Pete and I actually differ on this, and obviously different stats companies um, differ on on, um, their definition of what a completed long ball is. But Pete's got Sam in the 60%. I've got him in the 40%. But either way, it is a lot more than Button's 11% yesterday. And, I mean, Button's distribution stats last season weren't too bad from from what I gather. But you've also got to remember he had Andy Carroll to hit for much of that that, that time, which is almost a total X factor of a player to be able to to be able to hit because of how good he is and how strong he is with his back to goal and how good he is at win, at winning headers. That naturally your numbers are gonna are gonna go up. I would slightly defend Button in the sense that he didn't have anything obvious to hit. But Johnston was, last season, the reason that his numbers were pretty decent was because generally his balls were clipped out to one of the two fullbacks, normally Furlong because he's better in the air. Button was trying that yesterday, Pete, but he was just putting it out of play every time. Yeah. Um, yesterday's distribution in long balls was pretty poor. Um, like you say, I've got... 
data from Y Scout says that last season they both had a long pass completion percentage of about 69%. So they're pretty even. But like you mentioned just then, it's it's very different because Button had Carroll to hit a lot of the time in a lot higher percentage of his games rather than Johnston. Probably only played one or two games with Carroll. So the majority of the time he was didn't have that incredible target man to hit. So I think Button's distribution is worse, but I think Johnson's was actually pretty good or maybe even very good for the championship. Um, I think it kind of went underrated for him a bit. But yeah, I think... And it's probably a reason that Gareth Southgate has him so highly in the pecking order again. I'm, uh, I, I don't understand why this, this group of Albion fans who, 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 who like to try and convince themselves that Sam Johnston was a bad goalkeeper, but he wasn't. He just wasn't. And I think he plays for England... Yes, he's an excellent shot stopper, but he he plays for England ahead of people like Nick Pope because he's better with his feet. Yeah, and that's that's the other thing that you've got to consider is that last season we had an excellent keeper for the championship and I think we'd have been very hard pushed to even find a replacement and bring them in as a championship club that was going to be anywhere near as good as Johnston, so... I'd have loved to have seen the lad who was in the... I know I slagged him off on the last pod, but I thought Stefan was absolutely brilliant yesterday and yeah, he's, only, he he's only on loan from City I'd have loved to have seen him at us yeah and you know apart from Stefan I don't think there's been off the top of my head any signings that would I'd say are better than Johnston were last season um, but you know we, I think Button will be a decent keeper would, will his distribution be good enough maybe not but then I guess that's just something that we'll have to adapt to play shorter more often and let Ajayi do the distribution. Um, can't really say playing in, into the midfield and let them do it because, as we already s- established, that they're not great at moving the ball forward. So it might be a case of give it to Ajay or Townsend, who's very good at making progressive passes, or just going along to the likes of DK when he's in the squad because he's going to be more of a target to hit than, than Grant was yesterday. Or have a look at Palmer. Or have a look at Palmer. Yeah, I'm, I've never, I've probably watched him about three or four times in his career, so I've no idea whether he's a better ball player than Button is, but, you know, I think... I mean, he played for played for Michael Appleton at Lincoln, didn't he? Um, which you would... Uh, and, uh, and having seen Appy's teams play over the years, you, w- you would have thought there was a degree... I, I, I'll hold my hand up. I didn't watch Lincoln under, a, under Appleton. I don't want to watch what a lot of League One football, but I would have, Im- I would have imagined that they played out from the back a bit because that's how Appy plays. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure that that he'll get his chance in the um in the cup games if he's not playing league games. So, you know, I'm sure we'll get a chance to to see him and see whether he is any better with the ball at his feet than than Button showed last night. Um, I think to be honest, a lot of it is just perfecting that long ball to the right hand side where we're going to hit Furlong because. He's probably our biggest target to hit, especially if he's coming up against other fullbacks or wingers who generally aren't the greatest in the air. Then he'll win a lot of those to flick on to to Wallace or whatever. Do people massively underrate how good Sam was at that particular ball? Because he it, people always focus on the one or two where he got it got it an inch or two too high and put it over Furlong's head. But as the numbers show, he got it right more often than he got it wrong. Are we now seeing? Actually, how difficult that ball is to uh, to execute, and that Sam was—it just turns out that Sam was really, really good at it, and we probably didn't appreciate how difficult that actually was. 
Yeah, I think so. And I mean, if you think about the margin of error, because Furlong wants it right on the touchline at the perfect height that he jumps at, you know, a bit too high, it goes over his head, it goes out of play a bit too low, then the defender probably nip, nips in front of him and wins it there. So you got to get that absolutely perfect. And Johnson was excellent at that. So I think Button will have a lot of, have a lot of practice in training and hitting that because it is going to be one of our outballs, I'd say, because, you know, a lot of the time, if you get the pass right, then then we'll win the first header and, and be able to see what happens from there. Just a word on, on Furlong and Phillips, actually, for the goal, because I thought they were both culpable. Um, and Furlong, I thought, generally speaking, had a poor game yesterday. I, uh, uh, but his, his first touch for the for the for the goal puts him in all sorts of trouble. Then he tries to recover it. He clears it down the line. He's out of position. The ball gets played in behind him. He is most definitely at fault. That being said, if Matt Phillips is in the team as a defensive option, when you see the wide shot of the goal, when Isaiah Jones obviously taps in at the far post, Phillips is still stood on the halfway line, which is criminal for me. It's absolutely criminal. If you're if you're in there to offer some sort of solidity on that side and and, and the wing back goes, I know the transition is there because but you can see from Furlong's first touch that 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 is going to break down he's never going to do anything other than just punt it in the in the end so it was always going to break down Phillips should be making a move the second furlong makes that awful touch but just overall on on those two I thought both culpable for the goal both extremely poor yesterday I was surprised Phillips stayed on the pitch quite as long as he did um you look at you compare his his numbers to Grady's and they both gave the ball away as much as they did as each other, but Grady actually was trying stuff, and like half the time it was coming off. Phillips did nothing going forward and gave the ball away, so I didn't think he contributed much to us overall at all. And I thought that was one of the poorest games I've seen Darnell Furlong have for us first half it was like he was made of rubber because that that wasn't the only time the ball bounced off him his first touch i thought he 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 composed himself a bit second half but i thought first half his first touch was abysmal see i want to defend furlong a bit i do think it was one of his poorer games and he had a few times when the ball went and almost rolled out of play and did roll out of play from his first touch but i'm not sure the goal is much of his fault, to be honest, because I think he plays a pass into Wallace and Wallace plays the return, the one-two as a poor pass almost behind Furlong, which causes him to have that poor touch. And then obviously they get the ball after that and he goes chasing after it. But I think he's already out of position. And if he doesn't put pressure on, try and put pressure on the player that he's just lost the ball to, then it's going to be easy to just to play around him. I think at that point you need your teammates to fill in positionally for you. I mean, Malumbi did it. He started into right back straight away, but then... And Townsend's tucked on the far side. Yeah. Phillips hasn't gone. But then I think you also probably need someone to protect that half space that Malumbi's just left from being centre mid. So either Wallace needs to tuck inside quickly to stop Giles from driving inside, or Livermore's got to get across quicker to just protect that area because as soon as Malumbi tucks into, into right back, there's just a massive space inside that Giles can drive into, which he did and score. So for me, um, 
Furlong was out of position, but I think I don't think you can really blame him for that because of what he was trying to do. I think you can't expect your players to stay exactly in position for the whole game. You just need your teammates to protect you when you do try and make something happen, which he was trying to do. And I think it was a poor pass from Wallace that led to his poor touch. Other than that, it wasn't, yeah, I agree it wasn't his best game. His touch did seem off in other points when he almost let the ball run out of play. But I also don't think he's half as bad as some fans are trying to make out. I 100% agree with that, by the way. I, 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 and I've, I've thought this for like a, a, well, he's been getting slagged off for about what, six, seven, eight months now. And I, I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's been brilliant in that period, but I don't think he's anywhere near as bad as some people would have you believe. And I think he's better at right back than he was at, than he's at right wing back, which probably didn't help him last season. So I think we'll get a good season out of him, to be honest, but he seems to be made the, the scapegoat already after one game. So. Hopefully it doesn't affect him confidence-wise too much, and because I think if he if he is playing with confidence, playing in that right back spot, then yeah, I think he'll be he'll be very good this season. So hopefully we get to to see that out of him. Thoughts on Phillips uh, at fault for the goal, and just just generally like me, were you surprised he he he, he had as many minutes on the pitch as he did uh, for the goal? Partly, yeah. Uh, um, I think he was probably high up because he saw Furlong attacking. But obviously, when we lose the ball, you got to you got to get in. Um, initially, I don't think we we're overloaded or anything. I think we we're man for man in the box. I think Townsend was with Jones, and then I think someone else came into the box from truly, which I'm guessing one Livermore hadn't tracked, which made that Townsend had to go to him, which then left Jones. I think I'm right in saying that. I could be wrong, but yeah, we just need more men back. To be honest, whether that's um, Phillips has got to get back, Livermore's got to get back in the area. So yeah, I think there's a few players that could have given a bit more support to the defence there. Um, yeah, and I mentioned earlier why I think he started him, just because he didn't want to give the ball away to Jones too much. But Dean Garner offered more attacking-wise, definitely when when he was on the pitch. But I think it opened up both ways. It went to almost more of a basketball game after Dean Garner came on and. You know, we were having counter-attacks and they were going forward and we were looking short at the back. That's probably what Bruce didn't want to see for a whole 90 minutes, which is why he left it till the whatever minute it was to bring Dean Garner on. But yeah, I don't think he'll... I see him more as a Wallace cover than a than a starting left winger. So I think in games where we can expect to see a lot more of the ball, then he won't be starting. No, absolutely. And uh, I mean, as I say, I, I appreciate that... If he wants to, if he wants to go a little bit more solid against um, uh, against Watford, maybe that's understandable. Um, although, having said that, you know, it, it, I wouldn't play Phillips. I thought he was poor yesterday. Um, but I, uh, once we get into the games that you'd be expecting us to win, Grady's got to start for me. Let's just move on to to the second half and just a simple question really Pete because we started I was very shocked that there was no substitutions at half time we started the se- second half with the same personnel that we finished the first but it was like a different group of blokes came out for the second half what made the difference I think we basically tried to get in behind more um, turn the defence around Townsend's obviously and I think he will be for the whole season he racked up the most progressive passes for us and when you look at his pass map from half to half then 
you know, there's a massive difference in it. In the first half, he's playing a lot just inside or back or, you know, not really doing an awful lot with the ball. He made three progressive passes in that half, had a progressive distance of 141 yards. And then when you look in the second half, a lot of them are going forward and long and just straight down the line. So getting in behind um, and they are being completed. So he had six progressive passes in that half instead of three in the first half and a progressive distance of 268, which is almost double the 141 he had in the first half. So I think, yeah, we basically wanted to get in behind the defence a bit more, pull those centre-backs into wide areas that aren't being covered by the wing-back, over the wing-back's head and pull those centre-backs centre backs wide um, and just be a bit more a bit more direct and worry about losing the ball less when it's in their in their defensive third. Um, See another that gets unfairly criticised, Connor Townsend. Yeah, definitely. I think again, I think he's probably more suited to fullback than he was wingback. I really liked him when he was playing as the wide centre back, actually, because um, it means he can use that progressive passing ability that he has more. I think. Yeah, he's probably one of our few players that is good at moving the ball forwards accurately. And he did it in the Premier League. I mean, he did it quite a lot as a wing, as a wing back as well, but he does that really well. And he, he's got a decent delivery on him as well when he does get into the final third. And as well as that, I think he coped really well defensively with with Jones because he is, he's not an easy player to defend against. But most of the time, Townsend came out on top. And just... Before we go into finishing with the, with the forward players, just another n- another defender that came out on top, Daro Shea, I thought was nothing short of magnificent yesterday. I mean, he's finished the game with less lip than he start uh, started it. He really put his body on the line. He he made ten clearances in 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 the game, which was twice as many as anybody else. He also made three blocks, which was the most for the team. One of them was an absolute goal-saving block. And I, I really thought he was second best to make it. I think it was Coburn who'd muscled his way between two uh, two defenders. And I thought he'd put O'Shea on the back foot. And O'Shea just got back across him and made a magnificent block. I just thought the bloke would... Um, you know, you talked, you talked earlier about his commitment and leadership and everything like that. But I mean, I think people, I think one of the, the one of the mistakes that some football fans can make at times is mistaking shouting for leadership. And the difference for me is when a player both leads vocally, but also leads by example and I thought, as an example to follow, and by the way, I didn't think Ajayi was bad either at centre-half, but like O'Shea's performance yesterday was something else for me. And we've talked a number of times about, is there a future Albion captain there? I'd be very shocked if he didn't wear the armband at some at some point. And not because he shouts, not because he kicks people, but because when it comes to just pure defending, I just think he's a really, really good defender. Yeah, I was... Very impressed with him and Ajay. I thought they both did well. O'Shea was really aggressive. He stepped out of that defensive line and won the ball back quite a few times, which was impressive. Um, you know, pretty good in the air, as we expect from O'Shea. Put his body on the line, um, brought that shot that you mentioned. 
I think the only criticism you can have of the pair of them really is that there was once or twice when they were when Middlesbrough were looking to put crosses in that with the movement of their strikers they almost lost the man a bit. I think there was the one that what more I think it was what more he was offside, but I think they'd lost him already. If he hadn't been offside then you know, he would have been free to score. But apart from that, I think they were excellent second half, they're brilliant and I suppose the only other criticism as well that I, I would have, and particularly with Ajayi, because he's the one that usually drives out of defence, but there was a couple of times when Ajayi drove out of defence and then he just doesn't quite have the vision to see that pass, does he? I think I think Hal Robson-Karnu highlighted it at half-time in, in the analysis where there really, really was a ball on through uh, through the uh, through the back four to to Jed Wallace and instead he he rolled it inside to Jake Livermore and that is the only concern you know when we talk about somebody like Matt Clark Matt Clark might see that pass I don't think O'Shea or Ajayi will no, I think Ajayi is better at carrying the ball out than he is at passing the ball out but he probably is our best passer of the ball out as well so like you say we we don't really have that from our defenders right now, but if we can move the ball across to Townsend, then he'll do it. Or, you know, if you go long to furlong, then he'll win a flick on. So there's options there. Um, and just to mention, I think O'Shea dealt really well with Middlesbrough when they were in transition, because I think there was a couple of times when he was left basically one-on-one with a striker on about the halfway line. So if he, if he loses out there, then they're free on goal. And he, well, he didn't, he dealt with that really well, I think was really strong in his in his jewels and came out on top in most of them. So, yeah, it really impressed me. And I don't think he'll be losing his spot there at the minute. We've largely talked about the, the, the substitutes who, I mean, Grady and DK I thought were superb. DK in particular, I, I was really, really impressed with. I think Lenahan will be having nightmares about him for uh, all the rest of this week because he Len, Lenahan is not a defender who gets bullied a lot and DK absolutely bullied the heck out of him. Yes, his decision-making was a little bit off. There's one, the one where he puts the ball into the side netting, he's got to absolutely pull that back. But I think that's just a bit of sharpness. That's a guy who's been out for ages and I think I think that will come. Um, but... The the just to finish off the pod, Pete. The last two that I I want to discuss, and I want to discuss them as a pair because do you know what? I feel like they play as a pair, and uh, and I feel like there is a real relationship building, which is really really exciting for us. And that's Swift and Wallace because they. I've said a number of times we would have lost that game last season, um, where not because some people have said to me, "Oh, but we went behind against Borough on the opening day last season." No, no, but we didn't play bad. Uh, sorry, against Bournemouth last season, but we didn't play badly against Bournemouth. We played badly for forty-five minutes yesterday. We would have lost if we played badly for forty-five minutes against the side that good last season. We definitely would have lost, but we we didn't, and we got we got ourselves back into into the game and why it's because of those two who were absolutely brilliant I mean even when we were so so bad in the first half Wallace has still scored nearly scored one of the goals of of any season by doing Stefan from uh, from the touchline and you look at their numbers and it's just it's just brilliant I mean first of all Wallace has had two shots two on both on target Swift's had four uh, four shots two uh, two on target um, Wallace has played three key passes during the game. They just make stuff happen, and they seem so comfortable in and around in and around the penalty area. I thought 
I mean, uh, Swift, obviously, one of those two shots on target has gone in the net. I thought he was deeply unlucky that the other one didn't, to be honest. I thought Stefan's made a brilliant save. I thought Swift did everything right. Wallace, obviously, one of the shots on target is the one that Stefan's tipped over. I'm not going to hide from the fact that he should have done better with the other one. I disagree with Don Goodman, who said he was trying to square it. I uh, I, I thought what Wallace was trying to do was chip the keeper, and he's absolutely not got enough on it. And uh, he's just not got under the ball and therefore not got the height on it, and he's played it straight into Stefan. He's, he's just completely screwed it up. But that aside, putting that moment aside, I saw a number of people saying, oh, you know, Swift, Don Goodman should have made Swift man of the match. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with that because I thought Ryan Giles was a very worthy man of the match. But if you're picking, if you're picking an Albion man of the match for me, I, I thought John Swift was very good, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't be it for me. It would have either been the aforementioned Daro Shea or it would have been Jed Wallace, who I thought was absolutely fantastic all the way through. But Pete, they make such a difference to our side, those two. Yeah, they're quality additions um, and they've got confidence as well. They seem to know that they're two of the best players in the championship and I don't know, you can just feel it that they want the ball, they want to make things happen and I think another, going back to the differences between the first and second half, I think another big difference there is... Sorry, just uh, on that point that you just made about them, that, that, uh, them believing that they're... Uh, 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 I, I could lip-read this wrong, but I'm pretty sure what, uh, what, what Swift says as he runs towards Wallace after the goal is, that's what I'm effing talking about. And I, uh, I, and, and, and I thought, that, there's that confidence. There's that, like... I've had no service. I've had no service for 45 minutes and I'm fuming about it. There we go. Now I'm getting the service. And you're right. That's that attitude. That's that little bit of belief. That's that little bit of bit of arrogance that you want from your attacking players. Yeah, arrogant is a good word, but you want it, but you don't want it to the extremes. And we didn't seem to have that. They weren't sulking or anything during the game, but they they kind of used it to want to get on the ball and impact the game. And between the first and second half, if you look at the amount of passes that Swift received and where he received them, that was a, a big difference as well. Because in the in the first half, he didn't receive any in the penalty area and only one progressive pass received. But in the second half, he received two in the area, one for that goal, obviously, and four progressive passes. Um, so we kind of got the ball towards to, to Swift more and I think that helped make things happen. Um, you know, they're both extremely good players in the championship. Wallace is going to get a lot of assists if we've got DK or another target man in that box to, to cross to and if he gets it into the area that you know like the cutback zone that he was in to assist Swift then he's he's intelligent enough to you know when you look at him making that run he's he looks up once or twice maybe three times just to see what his options are and obviously spots Swift early which means that he can kind of disguise it he doesn't have to look up as he's playing the ball and make it obvious who he's going to a bit like what we were talking about with Sam Johnson, is it very easy to underestimate how much ability it takes to see that ball and execute it, and then for Swift to execute the finish? Because I feel like those three things are things that, no disrespect to the players we had last season, but player, the, the players we had last season wouldn't have done. I, I think the players we had last season would have just tried to drill that ball as hard as they could across the six-yard box and hope it takes a touch and goes in. Yeah, I mean, it looks like an easy pass when you watch the replays, but to he's got to look up and scan and see what his options are quite early when he's making that run, and then to spot it and 
execute it with enough discards and enough accuracy that it makes it to Swift without any defenders turning and looking to get out to Swift too early. You know, that's excellent. And then the finish as well, because it was a, a bubbling ball and he managed to strike it on the run just so sweet, so cleanly, and it was a great finish. Um, yeah, and I think it kind of highlighted the qualities of both of the players and what we're going to see from them for the rest of the season. Swift for those late runs and finding space in the box to score goals and Wallace with brilliant decision-making and a quality delivery when he gets there as well. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it because it's a positive note. And whilst there are definitely things to work on from the Middlesbrough game, and there's definitely questions for Steve Bruce to to answer um, and ponderings to have around his team selection, I think Swift and Wallace are just two massive, massive positives and they're two they're two players that Pete and I are so so excited to watch for the next forty five games and I hope they're two players that everybody listening is really really excited to watch for the next forty five games because I think they're both brilliant and I think they're they're just going to be such a fantastic pair of additions but as I say that's it for today we will be back next week after the after the Watford home game to discuss that but until then thanks for listening and up the baggies Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season they're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers so why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.